and welcome rugby fans, of course, to that familiar show. You know it as the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. A quick reminder for those fans tuning in, or maybe you're here for the first time. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities, alongside Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt and Scott the Big Guy Ferrara. We are the team for the Rugby <laughs> Rant Podcast Show. What do we do? Well, it is important to be able to share the news from across rugby. And wherever it may be, there's news that you need to know about. Something that may have been missed or flew a little under the radar. Here's our chance to be able to bring it to the forefront in what we like to be able to call Around the Pitch. So, for those of you who are not yet familiar, what we're going to do is a quick fire round news that you should be paying attention to as a fan, but not only of the North American rugby game, we're going to broaden the scope here a little bit, and you may hear something from across the waters. But to start us off, let's hand it over to Scott, the big guy, Ferrara. Let's get hot, baby. Let's talk about uh, two guys currently on New York. Uh, shout out to Dylan the Butcher Fawcett. Shout out to Sam Windsor. They hit their 50 cap mark in the MLR. Um, the Butch has hit it all 50 with Rooney, uh, Sam splitting between uh, uh, Houston and Rooney. And, and it's, listen, it's a big, it's, it's a big deal. It's why we're, we're watching them play. They've bought in on this league. They've bought in on their lives here to play rugby here professionally. And you see that with the commitment of, of hitting their 50 caps. Um, and they did get caps. Um, people wonder why it's called the cap. Cause you actually get a cap. Your first one, you actually get a cap. Rudy hands them out. Rooney gave these guys their 50th cap. Uh, it was awesome. Congratulations, fellas. I love that. Isn't that just one of the greatest traditions of professional rugby? And the donning of the cap is literally a cap. If you're not familiar with what it looks like, uh, it, is, it is exactly as it sounds, but it represents how many appearances you have made for your side. Uh, and this goes all the way up to the international level in the game. And how great is it to be able to see that we're now getting to that point in professional rugby in the U.S. that players are meeting this milestone week after week? Um, you know, between these two, I think they hold third and fourth spot respectively as the third and fourth person to be included in that 50 cap club. The first of which was uh, Tim Metcher and Angus McLennan, as we highlighted in previous episodes. So there's four people in that club. Expect the fifth to just be around the corner. Let's hand it over to Rob Habschmidt. Well, Scott talked about uh, hats for or caps for the head. I'm going to talk about balls. Um Interesting thing that just happened recently, uh, Gilbert, in conjunction with Sportable and BT Sport, have released a smart ball. It has an RFI chip inside. bunch of different metrics are going to be able to be usable by coaches, uh, by teams, and, of course, hopefully by fans. Things like box kick height, restart height, uh, passing from left hand and right hand efficiency, lightning quick ball out of the rucks. All kinds of great metrics can come out of this. Um, it was going to first be used uh, with the women's Six Nations match between England and Scotland, as well as the last 15 matches in the Prem, the first being uh, Newcastle and Leicester. Here's what I love about this. This could revolutionize rugby for the amateur game. Rather than having to spend $15,000 on GPS sensors, this can at least provide some matrix for the amateur game, for you know um, club men and women, but also for high schools and perhaps lower level at a really, really reasonable cost. 
Right. And that's the most important point, right? Because as soon as you reduce the cost to be able to gain access to this type of analytics, uh, first of all, it's going to improve the quality of the teams. Although you could argue that that's only a looking in on a team performance and not the individual, but that's okay. Higher levels of rugby will still have that. It's not replacing those tools. It's only in addition to. So I love that you highlighted that, that it could be of really, really great use uh, to developing teams, high school level, college level. Uh, yeah, really awesome to be able to see. And you know, fans are going to love those type of statistics uh, being shared. So yeah, really, really good uh, insight there to be able to add. I'm going to throw one to be able to talk about rugby again at an international level but more particular closer to home with usa rugby having engaged in some serious talks recently concluded with world rugby to identify the best strategy moving forward to be able to host a rugby world cup on north american soil so what did they come away from this meeting well they met in denver recently and they actually toured the denver Broncos stadiums which is actually a recommended site it's a 75,000-seater, so you know they were talking about the preparations for a 2031 Rugby World Cup. Now, we previously spoke about it being an opportunity for either the 27 or the 31. We all agreed here on the Rugby Rant that it seemed more likely for the 2031 to be a feasible option. And one of the reasons that we said so is because rugby needs to be at a point where it can be self-sufficient that it needs to grow in supporter base, in its uh, development, and of course, in its results. That's one of the things that they highlighted as key to their success. So here's one of the takeaways if you're only learning about it right now. World Rugby and, of course, USA Rugby on March 18th left the boardroom having had this on their plan of action. They have both decided that they'll be working towards a strategy of 2031 as the nearest opportunity for America to be able to host it with any North American partners. The one significant change that also came from that is that they had originally planned to be able to have a 2029 women's rugby event hosted. That has now seems to have been abandoned and it will now be pushed back to 2033 is the proposed strategy. And the basis of all of this is that they need to be able to implement an 11-year growth strategy that focuses first on grassroots rugby and participation being the number one metric for success, improving participation. Then how many players graduate from youth rugby into college systems and how many at college level graduate into the senior amateur game. Those were the three main things that all have one thing in common. Get the ball in as many hands as possible across the nation. So I think that most people would agree that has to be at the forefront when growing rugby. We've spoken about this numerous occasions, and I'm sure my colleagues would agree. Scott, what do you else do you have to be able to share? And, you know, I'm kind of breaking the rules a little bit. I'm going outside of North America and MLR, but we have to talk about this match. Uh, Italy beating Wales, um, ending a 36-game losing streak in the Six Nations. I mean, it's one of those things where me and our buddy, uh, Mike Grandpuba Parazzini, talk about. We're both Italian. Uh, we both root for Italy in the Six Nations, which is very, very hard. It's like being a Mets fan, you know, a lot of losing seasons. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's it was great to see. It was great to see them uh, – play you know from the first minute to the last minute with a ton of heart and i think this 
this probably would have maybe maybe been a second win for them, you know, had the Ireland match gone a little differently. But Eduardo Padovani uh, scores the last try. Paolo Garbisi puts the conversion up, and Italy win twenty-two to twenty-one against Wales again. Forza Azzurri. Uh, they they ended a 36 game losing streak in six stations, baby. Right, and they ended it with a piece of magic that will go down in rugby history. I'm sure mm-hmm. that that replay will be played for many many more years to come, uh, and we wish that uh, uh, to see more success for Italy. Let's hand it over to Rob Hammerschmidt. So uh, Scott, I, I guess you know a little bit in rooting for Italy what uh, Rick Collins feels like as a Dallas fan, but um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm fired. <laughs> that, that was going out to you there. My buddy Rick. <laughs> how, how are the playoffs the last two years? How are the playoffs <laughs> the last two years? All right, I know. Then. I, know. Um, I can only say that because Nola edged out Dallas two weeks ago. All right. So I want to uh, kind of dovetail off of what Scott celebrated. And I just want to talk about why rugby is one of those sports that is a difference maker and what differentiates it. And it's the sportsmanship piece. Rarely do you see a bit of sportsmanship like we saw at the end of that match. Um, a little context, Josh, had, you know, they, they award a man in the match, probably about the 75th, the 78th minute right there at the end. Josh Adams from Wales had a great game, one man of the match. And what did we see? Of course, it was Ange Capuso, um, his uh, just absolute phenomenal attack from the 15 position that springs the try that resulted in Italy's win. And what did Josh Adams do in an absolute show of sportsmanship, the epitome of what rugby's about. He awards his man of the match medal to Ange Capuso, recognizing what that man did for Italy on the day. That is to be commended. Right. And I think you mentioned just before this piece, it was about seven years since their last win against a tier one nation. So with that one moment of magic, you know, had kind of rewritten history, at least for, for, for the, the, the interim. Uh, hopefully they can keep going, going forward. But I love how you highlighted, man. If there is somebody that personifies what rugby is about, that person and that moment did so, so wonderfully. And if you are a fan in America and you're only recently been introduced to rugby, go watch that. That is what rugby is about. That's why so many people come to love this game, not only because of the sport, but the characters within the sport that help define it as one of the truly greatest games on earth. So So I'm going to spring, use that as a springboard to talk about rugby in Europe for a moment. But I want to focus on those teams that are outside of the traditional top 10. And something that majorly happened, talking about teams achieving greatness where it hasn't existed for quite some time, If you're not familiar, the top tier that many people recognize as the greatest championship is the Six Nations in Europe. Of course, those are traditionally some of the strongest countries in the world when it comes to rugby. And those nations underneath them that are looking for the opportunity to grow include countries like Georgia, who has on several occasions been fortunate enough to be able to attend a Rugby World Cup. And of course, there's still a continuing conversation whether they should even be elevated to the Six Nations because of their strength. But one team most people haven't taken note of who has been steadily rising higher up the ranks is Spain. Spain recently took on the opportunity to be a host nation for the seven series, which HSBC. So this certainly is a culture that's growing and the sport itself is now achieving heights as they have achieved an incredible honor for Spanish rugby that for the first time since 1999, 
they will be participating in a Rugby World Cup come France 2023. And I take my hat off to them because it was not an easy pathway. And I hope them they will take every opportunity available to make it, of course, their best performance yet. So here we are, gentlemen, again with our Around the Pitch. And for you as a rugby fan, if you wanted to be able to learn more or tell us what you think about any of these points, continue to do so online by following us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. But we're going to be back in just a moment for our regular rugby debates. But before then, let's hear from one of our sponsors. With over 37 years of experience, American Rugby Outfitters have been dedicated to providing quality rugby gear to those who like to get dirty. The ARO team prides itself in delivering the highest quality rugby gear that will withstand the punishment rugby dishes out. Brands such as Adidas, Barbarian, Gilbert, Canterbury, and Protec will deliver when the game gets tough. Whether you need team uniforms, boots, bags, field equipment, or swag for the post-mass social, ARO is your source for quality rugby gear. They can set up your club or business with a team store like they did for us to ensure every member looks as good as the pros. If the international game is your vibe, ARO will carry you across the line with officially licensed gear from the Eagles, Springboks, All Blacks, England, Ireland, and Wales, amongst others. Visit RugbyGear.com and check out all that the folks from American Rugby Outfitters have to offer. Use the code RANT15 to get a 15% discount site-wide. As an added bonus, when the items in your cart are $100 or more, you get free shipping to anywhere in the continental of the United States. Don't forget to check out our line of Rugby Rant gear available exclusively at RugbyGear.com. Don't forget to use RANT15 to get 15% off your order site-wide. American Rugby Outfitters dedicated to the toughest demands in the world's toughest game. And welcome back, rugby fans. Of course, it's time for our familiar rugby debates. And this is always made popular with the help of special guests. So a quick reminder, my name is Ty Braga. You've got Rob and Scott. But more importantly, who is challenging these boys here today? Returning. I think your second time around. It's been quite some time since we last saw you, though. But we welcome back Tony Ridnell. Uh, and of course, Tony, uh, you are familiar to two people uh, in rugby, especially down in uh, the Seattle, Tequila uh, area. But more importantly, you're obviously a super big rugby uh, personality, having been uh, at the highest levels with the game with USA Rugby, USA Formers Eagle player, uh, still very much involved with grassroots rugby and the development of Seattle supporters and everything in between. So uh, let me just say, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. I, I think the last time we saw each other, we've been wearing masks in between. So uh, it's been it's been a little bit of a little bit of a wait. So good to see you guys. Really good to see you guys. It's always and a pleasure. Thanks for to what have you're you doing on, for the game. Thanks for what you're doing for the game. Uh, you know, any any media, you know, me, all media is good in my opinion. And and yeah. and uh, and this is kind of cool. I know a lot of people in Seattle watch your show religiously, so it's cool. We awesome. Love, we love those Seattle folks, especially over my shoulder there, Rucky the Sea Wolf. Yeah, we know he's a big fan. <laughs> Rookie the Seawolf is fabulous. I mean, you know, Seattle has some really good mascots and he must have gone to school or something because he is he's most improved. He really does a great job. Great Don't job even get us started on the topic yeah. of mascots yet yeah. today, okay? Tony, just say Rookie is on point here, okay? Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so let's take the opportunity to be able to remind everybody who's tuning in, how does it work? So a quick reminder, 
And of course, for those of you that are only learning about it for the first time, the rugby debates is one of the best things about the rugby rat, without a doubt. And for a very simple reason, we're going to ask these boys to compete against each other for top honors, what we like to be able to recognize as our top ranter. The competition's usually stiff. And of course, we have great banter in between. And that's what makes rugby great, is the camaraderie, the banter, and of course, the personalities in between. And we're going to see all those personalities shine as each of these gentlemen are given two minutes to be able to speak about the topic at hand once they have had all their two minutes to be able to shine we're going to open it to public format for open debate and they may build upon one's point or contradict somebody else's point let's see where it may go but before then let's find out what are we talking about So, like I said, what do we talk about? Well, there's been a lot of chatter online and through all the social media groups when it comes to Major League Rugby. Quite simply, the question has been asked, and we hopefully are here to answer it for our fans. Are there too many cup titles in Major League Rugby? This is quite an interesting one, gentlemen, and I want to rattle off some of the names that I happen to know when I spent just a moment writing down some names. And let me tell you, to be fair, I probably even missed one or two. So if I did, let us know. As a fan, you can drop a comment below on our social media by following us under the handle at Rugby Ranch Pod. So here's what I came up with, gentlemen. The Cali Cup, the Texas Cup, the Charter Bowl, the Champagne Cup, the Cuisine <laughs> Cup, the Fire and Ice Cup, and what fans have deemed to be the Gilly Cup, which is, of course, that matchup between the two franchises supported by Adam Gilchrist. Um, but ironically, the one thing that I actually do want to be a cup is not a cup, and that's the MLR Shield. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, if, nice. uh, if, if you're watching out there and time missed one, uh, please crucify him on social media. Scott, right. Tony, myself had nothing to do with the list. Thanks for your support, boys. Always <laughs> nice to know that I have your uh, your support there. With all that being said, minus one point to Rob Hammerschmidt. Yes, not a good start. Started off with a minus. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to offer the floor to first over to to our guest, as is traditional on the show. We're going to move it around the screen until, of course, we end with Rob, and then it goes to open format. Gentlemen, the floor is now open with Tony with the microphone in hand. Well, thanks, Ty. Um, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I love this show. And I know a lot of people in Seattle watch uh, religiously. So glad, glad to be here. You know, the question of if there's too many cups really, you know, goes to the question, answers, asks the question, you know, what are we going to do to promote rugby in this country, promote rivalries, promote teamwork, promote camaraderie, promote support and things like that. So for, in my opinion, you can't have too many cups, Right. Like, if you're playing for one of those cups, maybe, you know, and we all have to remember, this is year five. You know, we're, we're not going to be it's, at year 10, year 15. These things might really mean something. And you might have three, four, five hundred people flying to San Diego from Seattle. You know, we have a few dozen now. Imagine five, ten years from now when this becomes a, a big deal, you know, a, a really big deal. So um, San Diego and, and Seattle don't necessarily have a cup, but they've got a tremendous rivalry. They played the first game of the MLR ever. Uh, and they played in the in the second final, so so you know obviously a huge, and then of course the the final down there with that dramatic ending. So there's a natural rivalry, West Coast, you know the weather, the North South, whatever you want to call it. So you know 
I could feel when San Diego um, played, came up to see Seattle, I could actually feel the energy of the crowd that it was a San Diego game. You know, it's this rivalry, this magic rivalry. So you want to call you know, a cup, a shield, whatever you want that people can, you know, kind of rally around. I think it's just great. Absolutely great. And again, we're reaching a stage now where ML, the, the, the demographic of the MLR fan, and I don't know if there are any statistics, and it would be kind of cool to maybe take some surveys, but I think the demographic of the MLR fan is now probably vast majority of people that didn't know about rugby before the MLR and, you know, and probably didn't play. I, you know, we all thought the first year it was just going to be, you know, ex-players and current players, you know, going to watch some pro rugby. And that hasn't been the case at all. And some of the crowds, you know, in L.A., Seattle, Dallas has had some nice crowds for sure. Uh, anything, to br- anything to bring the team, anything to bring fans supporting the teams together is good by me. Call it a cup, call it a shield, whatever you want. Right. Any I, reason I, I to bring fans together, really. Absolutely. No and question. I love how you highlighted the rivalries that develop around these. Uh, oh, now, yeah. some have happened organically. Some argue that, well, is it manufactured? But if you had to fast forward, as you said, you know, five, 10 years down the road, will that actually even make a difference? I mean, every cup had to have an origin from some story, from That's some right. moment, from some sort of rivalry. Um, but as long as it brings fans together, really, isn't that the win? Uh, yeah, so absolutely. I definitely hear you, you that ringing true. Uh, <laughs> one, day right in the, one day in the mid-1800s, you know, someone called a cup the Calcutta Cup, you know, and some people probably made a joke about right. it, but they're playing for it What is this cup later. idea? Right, right. So. Is it a teacup? <laughs> so let's let's set that one aside. And there's some really strong points there. But if I kind of sum it up, the one thing that was central to your conversation, to your debate, your rant there, Tony, was anything to bring fans together. And where Absolutely. it is now is not why a fair place to assess it. It's five to ten years from now as we see it continue to develop. What will it do for rugby, right? And it's already Definitely. bringing in new fans, so we can only imagine it might go upon a similar pathway moving forward as well. Excellent stuff. Let's I'm going to take point. a bo- I'm going to take a bonus overtime, thirty <laughs> seconds, and just talk about just talk about you know when you're talking about bringing bringing the fans together. I you know the Seattle Dallas game the other day. Dallas, what a super uh, event site they have. You know the stadium's phenomenal. Oh, the yeah. way it presents on TV is fantastic. I was kind of negative on. On Gilcrest spending, you know, I think I heard the number was 75 grand a game last year at the Coliseum. I was like, you know, why would you do that? And then, you know, when you watch the games and you see the final and you see how well it presents rugby to the American audience, hell, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan. It looks fan like now. a very, so, very professional product. Absolutely. And I, I think across the, across the league, we have to improve there. You know, we, we, we've got three or four just absolutely right. cream of the crop events. And there are three or four that are pretty, pretty hurting. So, uh, uh, well, you do real, real estate is real estate's a huge help issue. Raise the bar. Yeah, real estate's a huge issue as well. Just in terms of you know owners being able to recoup some money, um, you know, instead of renting a stadium and not getting the parking, not getting the beverages, not getting the concessions, you know, finding real estate to play, and I think that's where Houston is 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 going to find some real success in a few years. I think uh, I think th- those fans are going to be getting around. Houston just because of that stadium right they aren't uh, going anywhere as soon as you put down those sort of roots in the community you can expect to be there for a long time absolutely and you can see they've done that on the field and off the field 
Great job. Absolutely. Houston. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yep. Minus one for the extra time. Not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so far, Scott is winning. But I kicked the, I kicked the points, so I'm plus two. So I'm good. All right. <laughs> I don't know how your math works, but we'll go with it. Okay. That's called penalty new goal. math. Penalty goal. All right. All right. Let's swing it over to Scott, the big guy, Ferrari. What does he have to say? Well, we're still cooking, and I think right now uh, the number of cups is fine. I think the teams that are in the cups, you know, you have uh, AGs in two cups, Rooney in two cups, LA in two cups. You know, I think we can we we, we got to kind of divide and conquer. Um, but in saying that, um, you know, we have a lot of these cr- crossover fans coming over. And let me just count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Counting nine, the 10, fans. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Are you sure out of 20 the fans at the Austin Elite in, game no. uh, in 2019? What I'm saying is a lot of these fans are football fans, right? And a lot of them are college football fans. There right. are 20 different trophies in the Big Ten alone in football uh, as okay. inter-teams. Don't even play. get me started on how many. There are 12 teams in the Big Ten and 10 in the twelve. All right. It's a whole but, other so, conversation there. So, so my point is, they have twenty and just twelve teams in the league. But, uh, but my point is, as as you're building up that fan camaraderie, like Tony talked about, um, it builds up. I think you have your natural rivals, right? You have the Chowder Cup, you know, New England, New York, right? You have your, your it makes sense and the history exactly. But then you have these like these cross ones, like the Champagne Cup, L.A. and New York. You know, they're kind of the Champagne cities. They're the lifestyle. And it's something that is one of the things that the Giltinis kind of have, right? That's like their thing is their glitz and their glam. And then New York, obviously, being the Big Apple, you know, almost the center of the universe at this point, it kind of makes sense. And it takes a team from the West Coast and a team from the East Coast that aren't even going to play each other every year at this point if we have 13 teams in the league. But it makes the game exciting because there's something to play for. Let me just tell you, in 1903, Michigan and Minnesota played in football 6-6, and Michigan left a brown jug of water. To this day, every year they fight for the little brown jug. And Minnesota's response when Michigan said they wanted it back was, come back next year and win it. And that's the kind of attitude we want. That's the kind of attitude we need. And that's the kind of attitude that brings great fans to great fans. To Tony's point, in that Dallas-Seattle game, you had Matt Courtright for Seattle. You had Rick Collins, (laughs) our buddy Rick Collins for Dallas. And they did a ball exchange where they had ball signs and exchanged them uh, as as a a sign of the rugby values we hold as fans. And I think these cups bring out the best in that. Like I said, right amount of cups, I want to see some more team changes. And the other thing is, weirdest part, how come Dallas isn't part of the Texas Cup? I mean, we have the, again, talk about college football. You have the President's Cup with the service academies. Tony knows it well. There's three teams that play for that cup. Right? They Three teams that play for that trophy, and they figured out how to do it. Well, hopefully it will be like that in the future. But as the rumor says that they're not able to compete in that uh, to, for that title because of a sponsor conflict, uh, and oh I think gosh. that's probably about the title sponsor and the team sponsor. Yeah, so you know sometimes things like that get in the way. But what a shame if that is the case that they miss an opportunity to kind of bring the Texas rugby community even closer together by including its newest expansion team. And the best part of all, they're not that far from one another. You can enjoy all three games inside your own state. Uh, there's no other place in America that can say that. So you count yourselves lucky as Texas because uh, you got some great rugby and it's continuing to be able to grow. And we hope that the cup itself with the Texas cup continues to grow and include that third partner. Let's swing it over to Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt to see what he has to say. Thanks. And and it, my initial thought was, yes, six is too many, six or seven, whatever you have. But I'm going to put a little asterisk by that. 
it's too many unless we actually start to have the presentations televised when the cups are you know exchanged or presented mm -hmm. right i think the that's whole the ceremony thing. of it it's it's a pageantry that's fun to watch it's the fans celebrating when the team hoists the cup in front of a banner and celebrates the well-earned victory and we haven't seen any of that so far so i'd like to see that come if we're gonna have six let's make sure that happens but i want to be careful here because i think as if you start just throwing out new cups and i guess if we're going to do that i'm going to go with the gritty cup uh, and if, you know, the champagne is in either coast, I'm going with the Midwest Gritty Cup, and it's going to be between NOLA and whenever Chicago has a damn team. We're calling <laughs> it the Gritty Cup, damn it. But it, it, we got to be careful that it doesn't devalue the shield, right? And, and maybe that's my frustration is, is this, should the shield be a cup? And, and the, all oh, the things on the shields, you know, because when you think about a lot of rugby tournaments, um, the shield is actually a second tier, you know, placing as opposed to a cup who's one of the top. But I want to make mention of one last piece. Um, and that is this, you know, even newbies to the international game and some of those old farts and Tony and Tony and I are, Sorry, Tony. Our both no, no they problem, threw you man. under the bus there yeah, right away. Yeah, Some of those yeah, old yeah. Fart, Tony. No problem. I, 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 I don't want to be. I don't want to be by myself. Acceptance. Um, Accept you know, we know of the Triple Crown. We know of the Calcutta Cup. But did you know that there's like within the Six Nations, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cups in the Six Nations. I mean, do, do the well-heeled rugby fans even know about this? Yeah, I did not know so, that. You know. Um, it, that's what makes me, uh, it gives me a little bit of pause. A couple cups, Texas cup, cool. Uh, some of the, too many cups. Yeah. It, there's no doubt that some cups will be more prominent than others. And because of the historical relevance or the support that they have or the franchise strength, it could be a couple of different angles that you could see it being. That's so. Yeah, but Rob, no, I got a name change no, on the Chicago cup, this. though. <laughs> sorry. I got, I got a, sorry, I got a name change on the Chicago NOLA cup, the Malort cup. <laughs> there you go. Is, yeah, is, that, an, is, is that an inside joke for that's those it. of us in Chicago? That's an inside Chicago deal. I got you, Rob. I got you. So, returning to the conversation about these, whether there's too many cups, I mean, is it worth it? Sure, depending on what angle you may see it from. But at what point do we cross that threshold of, okay, now we've got too many? And I love the fact, by the way, Rob, kudos to you, highlighting how many cups are actually inside the Six Nations, which traditionally fans may not even know about. And to be fair, I didn't even realize that some of those quote-unquote smaller games actually carried a title. Um, so, you know, it's pretty interesting. But is it enough to be able to, to bring fans together? Is it enough to be able to kind of force that, that, that rivalry and that sort of sports heritage that you have? What more do you need to be able to get there? Well, here's the, here's the thing. So Rob was talking about um, the, the, the presentation of the, the trophies. And, and here's the thing. It's pretty sad. There's not really a pregame and an intermission and a postgame, except for the canned ones that they do for the MLR on TRN. And I understand, you know, it's kind of tough to do that, but this is when you have to tap in some of your local talent. You know, this isn't just a tap on the shoulder for me, but me and the grand poobah, Mike Parazzini do our pre-match show before every Rooney match 30 minutes before. And we just go over things that, you know, a casual fan would like to know. We go over some analysis that we have to start doing that to match the big four in terms of presentation. And that also includes the presentations of the cup. It's great to see, you know, everything go uh, on, on uh, social media and all that, but, it doesn't hit people who aren't on social media. And while the younger audience audiences, the older audience might not be. The other thing I right. do like is, is out of these cups, 
like the Cuisine Solutions Cup is kind of funny because both teams are sponsored by Cuisine Solutions. That's why it's the cup. That's uh, one of those things that is almost organic. You know, what, like you wouldn't think Austin and, and OGs being a rival, but they're both, you know, they're the Eastern Conference, Western Conference. They wouldn't necessarily be a rival, but because they're both uh, uh, sponsored by them, it makes for an interesting cup. So what I hear Scott saying is that for the Chowder Cup, that he, that Mike and uh, the big guy will be taking a sip from the cup prior to presenting it to the captain of the winning team. And, and, and here's then, the thing. Just like, the, just like the, the chalice on the altar, it will be passed around from the priest and his sidekick or, uh, around to all the rest of the players. And what that. happens is the loser see, – well, see, I think it should be different. The loser gets the cup. And they have to they have to drink the regional clam chowder. So the New England guys got to got to drink nice. Manhattan clam chowder nice. out of the chowder cup, and nice. vice versa if Rooney loses. How about nice. that? Well, Who Rick, knows? if you're listening, MLR is listening, and that could uh, could gra- grab. We used we used to have boat races with lager. Now we're having chowder. <laughs> chowder we still sauce. do that. <laughs> So, so let's swing once around the table again as we take the opportunity to start getting some final thoughts. And again, framing the conversation, we started this round by asking the question of our ranters whether there were too many cups in Major League Rugby as it stands. When we did our count, it was somewhere in the ballpark of six or seven cups right now in season five. So again, fans have been asking, are there too many cups? Let's go once around the table to get a final thought from each of our ranches before we close out this round, starting with you, Tony. More the merrier, more the merrier. We, anything you can get to, to loop uh, fan activity, uh, even, even player, player, you know, team rivalries between the players, getting them fired up, getting the fans rivaled up, fired up. It's fine. And again, it's got to start somewhere. So, if it seems a little quiet now and a little hokey now and a little bit, you know, maybe a bit of a push right now, uh, five, 10 years from now, it's going to be organic and, and, uh, and we should cherish that and start. I it, love it. it. I all love now. it. All traditions have to start somewhere, somewhere and they only become traditions by doing it year after year. And uh, five to 10 years from now, it definitely could feel quite different as to what it feels like today. Absolutely. So let's hand it over to Scott Ferrara. I think we're at the right amount and we could probably add some, but I want to see some differentiation in the teams. Like I talked about previously, I like how the OGs and AGs come together because of this weird thing. And like Tony said, you know, like I said, there's uh, next year will be the 120th year of the little Brown jug between Michigan and Minnesota football. Think about that. Think about in 20 years of the champagne cup and the chowder cup and, and all that. And the Texas cup, maybe with four set Texas teams, who knows, maybe we get, you know, a Dallas, uh, not Dallas, um, an Abilene <laughs> like, team. Like before we get another Texas team, let's just get one in the Midwest. Maybe, we? maybe we get a team. Listen, maybe we get a team in Abilene. Maybe you're we get here. A team somewhere else. But my point is, think about that. Maybe we get three teams in the Cali Cup with a Northern Cali, you know, a, 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 a Northern Cali team. You know, so mm-hmm. my point is, keep building on it. It's what brings the rivalry together. I think we're on the right track. Excellent. I love it, Rob. I, I'm okay with it. We got to celebrate it, though. It's got to be part of the presentation. The fans got to be able to see it, not just in the stadium, but also in the stands. And uh, if we're going to move to more cups, uh, in addition to the Gritty Cup, I'm throwing another one in for my team. The NOLA Cup, that would be the No One Likes Atlanta Cup. Uh, and, of course, it would be between uh, NOLA and Atlanta. So it would be a perfect cup. I feel like Atlanta's immediately at a disadvantage with that cup. Uh, <laughs> like, do you want to win it? If you're I, and I, I don't really care. That's, that's fine with me. I, shit, they've kicked, they've kicked our asses in the last three games uh, we could use any advantage we get. 
<laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. And there you have it. As a fan of the rugby rat, and more important me as a North American rugby fan, I remind you to tell us what you think about this very same topic. And you can follow us online under the handle at rugby rant pod and tell us what you think. Are there too many cups? Is it just right? Do you even want more? And where do you think it can go in the years to come? Right now, we're going to go ahead and take a short break. And we'll be back in just a moment with more rugby rant. Tighthead Brewing Company is not just Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers. It is also a great place to enjoy local acts performing live music every Thursday and Saturday nights. Additionally, their Wednesday night trivia nights are something not to be missed. Tighthead is located in Mundelein, Illinois, and easily accessible for many Chicagoans, and it is just steps away from the metro. Owner Bruce Durr and the Tighthead staff are dedicated to ensure your microbrew experience is as tight as their beers. Bruce's love for rugby extends beyond the origin of his brewery's name. Tighthead is committed to supporting the rugby community. This includes his support for Lake County RFC and our own Rugby Rant podcast show. Tighthead's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. Regardless of whether your palate enjoys a good IPA or dark barrel-aged brew, Tighthead can deliver. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. And welcome back, rugby fans. Of course, it is important to be able to take a moment to be able to remind all of our viewers tuning in or watching us here on the Rugby Network or wherever it may be that you can get more content from us by following us on patreon.com. This is the new home for all our additional content that'll give you an opportunity as a super fan of the Rugby Rant podcast show to get additional extended interviews with our run parcel kick interviews. That is a great chance to be able to get the full-length interviews and much, much more insight. In addition to that, you'll be getting a second rant where we announce the winner of each episode. So if you want to find out who's the winner of the rants, you got to go and check us out on patreon.com forward slash rugby rant pod. And for as little as only three bucks a month, less than a beer, you can enjoy as much as another four to six hours of additional content. And you will be sick of us by the end of it. (laughs) But once again, it has been a blast. We are going to be back in just a moment as we take some time to speak with one of our MLRS insiders, Brad Tucker, in our RPK. Stick around. Hey, everybody. It's the big guy. I'm here to talk to you about our partner, Aversio Wellness. Aversio means change. Their mission is to change lives through fungi. Functional mushrooms are having a moment in 2022 because they offer two things that we all need most right now. The first thing is long-term stress support. The second thing is long-term Right now, many athletes have a secret weapon. They're powered by mushrooms. Warrior can be taken daily to help your body utilize more oxygen efficiently by improving lung capacity and enhancing blood flow. The big guy takes it, the hammer takes it, and Ty the Safa Barabi take it. Cordyceps mushroom extract is the ideal addition to your routine if you're looking to optimize energy and endurance. So do us a favor, go to aversiowellness.com and get 15% off your entire order by using the code RANT15. And that way, when you order your balance or your chill or your awaken, your defend or your warrior products, you can get 15% off. Help us help you go to aversiowellness.com, use the code RAD15, 
get your 15% off. Tell them the big guy sent you. Welcome, rugby fans, to the Run, Pass, or Kick interviews, where we put our guest to the test as we bring in the rugby insiders from across the nation to be able to speak here with your rugby rant team. A quick reminder, my name is Ty Brago, today's host, and alongside my colleague Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, we will put the man of the moment to the test. Who do we have? Brad Tucker, of course, from the Sea Wolves, a stalwart there from 2019, has been a firm favorite with fans out in Tequila, and for good reason, as he has not only been a performer on field, but he's been an integral part in helping rugby grow within the community there. And here, we're going to learn more about that and him in just a moment. But before then, let me welcome Brad to the show. Brad, welcome. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Excited to uh, to play run pass or kick, and uh, and let's have some fun tonight, eh? Sounds good, good mate. So to run you through it, though, how it all works, I'm going to hand you over to Rob Hammerschmidt to remind us all how it goes. Well, once again, thanks, Tux, for joining us. It's really a pleasure to have somebody of your caliber on the show, as always. But for fans that have never seen a run, pass, or kick interview, works a little like this. We're going to fire some questions at Tux here, and we're going to prompt each question with run, pass, or kick. And Brad is going to let us know what he plans to do before he answers each question. He can run with a question, which is today he's going to answer it. We know he's a big forward who likes to do a little damage with the heavy artillery and take it up the middle. So we know he's going to run with a lot of these, but he can also pass it. That just simply means that it's a little too tough to handle. He doesn't want to get himself trouble with the Seawolves brass, so he's going to pass off that question, not answer it, we'll move along. Or he can have a lot of fun with us, put us on the back foot, make us work for our supper, and he can kick a question. And uh, we'll assume uh, if that Brad might want to direct a question have us answer in his stead. And so he'll might say, well, Ty, I want you to handle it. Or Rob, you can take this one either way, or he can make us, uh, you know, guess. And um, he's not going to direct it at all. And whoever asks the question will answer the question. So Brad Tucker, are you ready for the run pass or kick challenge? All right, let's get stuck in, man. All right. You're going to love the first one. Uh, it was specially designed by Scott. So you can blame him. Run pass or kick. Who is the better looking Tucker, Will or James? <laughs> uh, pass. <laughs> I don't think we've started the show with no. the first question as a pass. So <laughs> that was a pretty good uh, first yeah. question from Scott in the background. I'm sure he's chuckling to himself, but uh, congratulations for making a first on the show, Brad. Right. <laughs> hey, I didn't want to put that pressure on you two either, so I'll, I'll just save you from that damage. <laughs> I, look, I'm just happy you didn't kick it back to us. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because, and, and I'm particularly happy because from what I understand, um, your your brother Will is the youngest, but the biggest. And I know you stand 6'5 at about 240, 245. So I can't imagine what he is. And I don't want him on my bad side. 
<laughs> well, if you'd, if you'd put me in there, I would have just said I'm the best looking, but you left me out, so it made it a bit hard. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that was, too, that was a gimme right then. <laughs> I think it was a pretty good start there. Um, so let's take the opportunity to run forward into the next question. And again, a reminder for all those tuning in, we're here today with Brad Tucker representing the Seawolves. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the rich rugby resume that this guy has, let me run you through some of the highlights before we go deeper into this conversation. So your journey starts just at uh, in New Zealand, Christchurch in particular, you call that home. And of course, that leads into uh, you playing at uh, St. Bede's College before moving on to Canterbury Sevens. Uh, and then on to Waikato, Taranaki, Manawatu, before finally finding where you call home now in the Seattle Seawolves since 2019. And in your first season, was fortunate enough to be a part of that side that lifted the MLR shield for the second time in a row. With that in mind, we set up the next question. Run, pass, or kick here, Brad. Hailing from New Zealand, Shields and Cups are no stranger to rugby mad fans and Kiwis alike. You raised the Shield in 2019 here in the U.S. with the MLR. Should the MLR champion raise, sorry, should the MLR championship raise a proper cup? This is a conversation that many fans in America have been debating, and of course our Canadian brothers and sisters, that should the final title be that you lift the Shield or a traditional cup? What is your thought? Run, pass, or kick? I'll run with that one. Uh, obviously, you know, back home, we we got the Ramfilly Shield, so I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough um, to be a part of a couple of Ramfilly Shield teams. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's the history that goes into something that makes it important. And, and the league started with a shield. So for me... You know, it's that's got a meaningful place to all of us that have lifted it before. And and personally, I think you know it should it should probably stay as a shield. Or, you know, it's it's pretty heavy. It's a lot heavier than you'd expect. It's a it's a pretty cool bit of kit. And um, you know, a cup a cup's cool, but there's no history in a cup for us right now. Maybe if the name was going to change or something like that, then we could look at changing the trophy. But for now, I think the shield's pretty spot on. To be honest, what do you guys think? Well, it doesn't matter what we think. You're on 6-5. I'm not arguing with you. Right. right. So, so the funny thing is, is immediately when you, you might be at the very least our second guest to join us for an RPK who has won the Ranford Shield. The other one was Tony Lamborn, and I'm pretty sure you know Tony pretty well. And he had one hell of a story that he told about the, when he won the Ranford Shield as the youngest player on uh, his, uh, I think his it was squad, his winning squad. Yeah. Yeah. When, when they won and, um, all, a couple of the little plates that they were celebrating, it was taped to his body to assure that it made it back on the plane. And a there were many little, adult beverages through the nest yes. <laughs> and a couple of the little plaques on there had fallen off, uh, during the course of the evening. And he was in a bit of trouble. Um, he happened to find them on his, in his pocket, later on and and they bubble gummed them to the to the to the shield temporarily when they, you know arrived back uh back home to celebrate with fans but um i gotta tell you i like your idea i'm okay with the shield i think you're right though they need to put something else on there to really bring out that history right 
Yeah, exactly. I think I think uh, even the MLR Shield in its in its short history would have a few good stories, just like the uh, I'll tell you for free that the Ranfilly Shield has some uh, unbelievable stories from each right. time. But that's that a one lighter a shield and easier to carry than the MLR one. <laughs> oh no, you won't believe how heavy that that plank of wood is. It's a big old thing too. I've never had the honor of lifting it, so I'll have to take uh, all of the everybody's word for it. <laughs> So that let's awesome. dive into the next yeah. one here and we keep the momentum moving forward. So run, pass, or kick. The Seawolves were back-to-back Shield champs in 2018 and 2019. What made these teams so different? What was great about that? Hey, I'm actually going to kick that one straight back to you. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, what I love is the fact that the 2018 squad was, we have to recognize the first, right? Among the first to be able to play professional rugby out of Seattle. And they had so many great uh, clubs, the local clubs to be able to draw upon early. Um, Seattle Rugby Club, I'm sure, you know, is one of those that I think they produced or provided more than 12 players to the Seattles uh, in, in those early years. So they already had a culture to build upon. They already had rapport. They already had a style. They had consistency. And they kept that going. And it, they were they very, very quickly found their own style uh, and formed an identity. And the identity of the stadium as well and their fans just embraced everything. So it was just – it was the right team at the right time and in the right place. And uh, all those things put together just worked out in their favor and they were consistent in what they produced. It wasn't particularly flashy, but they were consistent. They did the basics well and they produced results and they got a good following. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, on top of that, they had that core like Phil Mack, Reichert. And then in 2019, you came in, of course, they had – um, you know, uh, a number of other players that just uh, stood out for them and they formed that core for those first two seasons. So um, I think that that really added on to their ability to be so yeah. successful because it was almost like a player led team, you know, because they mm-hmm. have so much experience and so much skill in that in that player group that it really made it uh, 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 a tough group of, of players when the chips were down they came through so it's uh much to the credit of all yourself and your and your teammates um that came along through that seattle seawolves championship seasons um i'm going to move forward to talk a little bit about as we kind of move through seattle's history if you will um tough question i'll put you on the hot seat a little bit so don't forget you can always run pass or kick here yeah uh after the 2019 successful season got into 2020 and um some administrative changes were made at the conclusion of that, that shortened 2020 season. One of the notables, Shane Skinner, stepped down as CEO. Um, run, pass, or kick, can you give any insight to fans about some of these changes administratively that happened um, at that point in time in Seattle's history? Yeah, yeah, I can run with that. I think, you know, as things grow, and, and we all know in life, stuff changes and people's life changes and, and, and they move in different directions. And, and the team, the team sort of got to one of those stages after the COVID year. And, um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people. And I think, especially in professional sports, like we didn't know if we, you know, no one that was a professional athlete knew if they were going to have a job going forwards or when we'd be able to play again or anything like that. And I think, you know, you probably look across the league, there was a lot of administrative changes all over the show, 
Um, I know in other sports leagues there were as well. There was a lot of players not even playing anymore. A lot of changes like that. And I think, you know, the Seawolves was a part of that as well and, and stuff changed. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that we're in a really good space now. Um, you know, I think obviously there was, there was some hard times there. And when there's a lot, when there's change in organisations, there's quite often hard times and, you know, changing of the guard, you may call it, but the team's, you know, rebuilding in a really good way in terms of, you know, front office staff, management, everyone being aligned and in, and in the same trajectory the way we all want to get to. And I think in any organisation, that's really key. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty pleased to say that that's how it feels like we're, we're on that right track as a group and, and a whole organisation that we're all committed to the same goals and working in the same direction for each other. And, you know, when there's change, I guess, that alignment is the end outcome is all you can ask for. So as a player, like, you know, really happy with how everything's going there. Yeah. And, and I think it's notable the fact that I love the fact that you mentioned that a lot of teams have gone through changes, whether it's ownership changes. We saw a team peel away the Colorado Raptors, of course, and kind of retool themselves in a different way. And we've seen a lot of other structural and coaching changes uh, in a lot of other teams. But that's how the, the league gets stronger, right? You've got to uh, retool, redevelop, revolutionize yourself in order to move forward. And when everybody over the course of time does that, of course, the whole entire product rises and gets better. And that's what we need to happen moving forward in the MLR. We need to continue to develop and get better and progress in order to, you know, get to the goals that we all want to see happen, making it a, a, a top sport in the United States. Yeah, 100%. And the teams understand that we can't just rest. As you said, you can't rest on your laurels. It's like a my easy example for the American fans is, you know, when a football team's not doing well, what do they do? Move on all their high-paid yeah. players and, and, and start from scratch and go again. And I think, you know, as the league grows, there's consistently going to be that sort of retooling going on and on. Right, yeah, it's a constant evolution, you know, and every time you ask more of yourself in the organization, that's how you get better. And you got to sometimes make, you know, the tough choices. Um, but, you know, ultimately, if you know it's for the greater good, that's where it needs to lie is uh, the motivation. So we're going we're gonna to stay on Seattle for a moment more. And talking about Seattle, we're going to broaden the conversation. We spoke about the administration, the organization. I want to turn the attention to the fans for a moment. And here lines up the next question. Run, pass, or kick. You know the rules by now, Brad. The Seawolves have been successful in drawing new fans to rugby and, of course, to the franchise. It's been one of the great highlights of what they have done well so far. So let me ask, let me ask you a very simple question. What have they got that the others don't? What's the secret sauce? I'll run with that. You know, quite frankly, I think it's in the water in Seattle. You go to uh, you go to any game here, and the, you know the crowd's just built different. I don't know uh, if you guys have been down to Starfire. I've been to. I have field. not yet, but it is on the list. I guarantee. Well, you. I, I would say, and I put it at the top of the list to be honest. Um, <laughs> well, you couldn't say otherwise. <laughs> As a matter um, of fact, Tony Ridnell was just on our show, so I think we're right. all going to fly out. And we're going to stay with Tony. He doesn't know it yet, but that's the plan. 
I'll, I'll let him know this weekend that that's the plan. I'm sure he'll be stoked about it. Yeah. Big Tones is always making a lot of noise, so he will have no qualms. I think, I think Tone is going to be like, yeah, I'm going to kick that one over to you, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no room at my place. But uh, as I touched on, I think you go to you go to any sports team game in Seattle and it's just you, you can't get, wrap your head around how passionate and loud everyone is. And, right. you know, you meet someone – and they don't know, you know, especially in 2019, you, you might meet someone, they, they didn't know that there was a professional rugby league here, and you bump into them like 18 months later, and they're like, hey, uh, do you remember meeting me? And I'm like, oh, like, loosely, and they're like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I've been to the games now, and it's awesome, and I love it, and, you know, they're screaming the head off at the game, and it's just like, well, that's what, Seattle's just got that ingrained in them, and passionate support about their city and state, so it, it's a really cool place to play. Yeah, and it is a highlight for many players when we actually ask them, you know, not not I'm not talking about the Seawolves organization or anybody connected, just players from around the league that, you know, name a stadium you're always happy to visit. And Starfire is always right up there, either number one or number two. Uh, you know, I've, naturally, there's other great teams as well and other great atmospheres, but consistently, Seawolves has always been one of the most attended um, they've got great attendance no matter when it may be. And they, they travel well too. The fans actually travel really well. Yeah, they're unreal. They're unreal, man. You, you just never know. You can you always hear a seawall chant pop. And, I mean, you can be at a pub and the seawall chant will pop up out of nowhere behind you. So it's just, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> love it. I love to hear that. Yep. We need, uh, we need more and more of that in more and more MLR cities and uh, potentially the new cities that will hopefully be added on in the near future. And this league will definitely have promise moving forward. It's, it's great to see. Uh, and again, thank you very much for joining us here, Brad. And before we go any further, I wanted to take the opportunity to be able to thank everybody who's already been watching us here on episode 87 of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. And I also want to take the opportunity to remind you that if you wanted to continue enjoying this interview and more just like them, make sure you head on over to patreon.com, our new home for the Rugby Rant, where you can get all the additional content you desire as one of our super fans, whether it be more RPK case just like this you can complete this interview by following us on patreon.com or perhaps you wanted to be able to get more of the familiar rugby rant debate episodes and again all of that is on patreon.com forward slash rugby rant pod so for right now though we're going to put a pen in it for most of our viewers brad and they can continue to be able to get more of you by moving over to patreon but i wanted to thank you so far for what you've done with us so here and thank you and all the fans at home. And before we head out, I'd like to be able to remind you what we do here on the Rugby Rant is to help rugby grow one fan at a time. And we do that with your help. And you continue to find us online under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. On behalf of the team, I thank you for watching. And I remind you, my name is Ty Braga, host of today's activities alongside Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And on behalf of Brad Tucker and Scott Ferrara, who produces this in the background, thank you for watching and we will see you at the next.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.